so our reading today will be from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This can be found in your pamphlet and on the screen. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Simone. Good morning. Nice to be back. Thank you for having me here at Lake Baldwin Church. I always enjoy coming back here. Mike and Molly are good friends from way back in our University Presbyterian Church days. And so I've got a lot of connections with LBC. And I was glad to be able to come here on the day the kids sing. That is always a treat. You never quite know what's going to happen (laughs) when the kids sing, right? But it's a really, really good thing to do. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word this morning. Father, we do thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus, whose birth we celebrate this time of year. Thank you that we live in a country where we are free to do so. And we pray, Holy Spirit of God, now that you will use this time in our lives, in the life of this church, in the lives of our families and friends, that you will shape us and form us more into the image of Jesus about whom we're going to be learning today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll begin with a few brief anecdotes. And I've changed the names, but the people are real. Jane cringes when she hears cheerful Christmas music over the loudspeaker at the town center. For her, it's not the happiest time of the year. Because for Jane, the Yuletide season stirs up childhood memories of her father's drunken rage at his wife for spending his hard-earned money on Christmas presents. Jane dreads this time of year and hates shopping for her family. Jane feels the darkness of being the child of an alcoholic. Stephen wakes up each day to shame. When he was a kid, he used to mow lawns to make a little money. And there was a man in the neighborhood who who seemed to like Stephen a lot. He would come outside when Stephen was mowing his lawn and invite him inside for Coke and cookies. At first, it was a welcome treat, and Stephen was too young and too innocent to know what grooming looks like. One day, the Coke and cookies was not what the man wanted from Stephen. And today, now an adult in his 30s, Stephen feels the darkness of being sexually abused. Mark and Angela used to love being in ministry together. Mark's been pastoring his church for eight years. The church has grown under Mark's preaching and shepherding. He loves his people. 
But a small vocal group of members don't like the changes that Mark has introduced. They feel he's taking the church in the wrong direction. So they've been spreading a story about Mark and Angela that is hateful and untrue. Mark spends more and more of his time defending himself and his wife, and they are considering moving on. They are feeling the darkness of betrayal. Nathan, Nathan was just 41 years old, the same age as my son David, when he died of a fentanyl overdose. Nathan's dad is one of my best friends. He and his wife are feeling the darkness of losing their only son to drug addiction. Did you know that every day in the U.S. 200 people die from overdosing on fentanyl? Well, sometimes doesn't it feel like the darkness is winning? These were just a few examples. Had we more time, we would make a a long list, easily make a long list of things that the world is experiencing that make us feel like the darkness is getting darker every day. Think of all the things that we have witnessed as a nation this past year. Think of your own challenges as individuals, as families, and as a church. So yeah, we look around and we think, man, things are just getting worse and worse and worse. But this scripture passage that we're looking at this morning says that the darkness is not winning. The Apostle John, who wrote this passage, tells us in these opening verses of this gospel of his, that darkness is not the final word. Jesus is. Right? Darkness is not the final word. Jesus is. So I want to show you four things this morning from John 1, 1 through 5 that Simone read for us. Four things. Let me tell you what they are and then we'll dive in. First, a light is shining. Second, that that light is a person who loves you. Third, he is in control. And finally, he will not lose. A light is shining. This light is a person who loves you. He is in control and he will not lose. All right, let's dive in to that first thing. A light is shining. Look at verse 5 with me. The very fifth verse in this passage says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The Apostle John in this wonderful prologue to his gospel is telling us here that a switch has been flipped, a torch has been lit, a candle is burning, and as the prophet Isaiah said many years before this passage was written, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Um, Maybe you remember a story from about 12 years ago, something that happened in Chile, in 2010, I was reading about this and it was amazing to read this story. 33 men were working deep inside the San Jose mine. 
which is a 100-year-old copper and gold mine in northern Chile. When a block of diorite, 550 feet tall, and twice the weight of the Empire State Building, broke off inside the mountain where the mine was located and fell through the layers of the mine, trapping those miners thousands of feet beneath the earth. And there was no way out. These guys were entombed in the mine for 69 days before they were miraculously rescued. It's an amazing story. Perhaps you've read the book. Maybe, I think there was a TV movie made even about this amazing thing. 33 hot, smelly, hungry, thirsty, and frightened men were packed inside a space the size of a small living room for 69 days in 90% humidity. One miner said, and I quote, I've smelled corpses before. <laughs> and after a while, it smelled worse than that. Every day was a battle for sanity on the part of these guys. And one of the worst things was the constant darkness, right? The absence of daylight can be devastating to both physical and mental health. It's very dangerous. Well, meanwhile, while they were trapped inside the mine, workers on the outside were trying desperately to drill down through the rock to find these men. And finally, on day 17, a drill broke through and opened a hole about four and a half inches wide, all the way from the surface 2,000 feet down into their space. And through that hole, these workers were able to pass a power line so that the miners could have light and food and water and air. And that light changed everything. And it made me think that that's what John is saying here that God did. God did this. He sent light into our deep down darkness. How did he do it? Well, that's the second thing we see in this text. God did that not by sending a power line down through the rock, but by sending us a person who loves us. So let's talk about that. Look at verses one and two, the first two verses of the text. In the beginning... And that's a lot like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, he was with God. Now look, volumes have been written on these opening verses of John's gospel. And we don't have time to say everything that could be possibly said about them. But in a nutshell, here's what these verses are saying. The light in our darkness is not positive thinking. It's not whistling a happy tune. It's not making three wishes or getting married or having a better job or having a different president. That is not our light. The light in our darkness is the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 tells us a lot of things about Jesus. It tells us, first of all, that Jesus is fully God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God just like the Father is God and like the Holy Spirit is God. But at the same time, he is God. He is distinct from both the Father and the Spirit. It says the Word was with God. 
John says. That is separate but equal, you might say. And because Jesus is God, he is eternal. He always was and he always will be. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which some of us read and try to memorize, some of you students at Reform Seminary where I work, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines God, if he can be defined, right? It says that God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That applies to Jesus, just like it applies to God the Father and God the Son. You and I are not eternal. There was a time when we were not. There was never a time when Jesus was not. Matter is not eternal. This world is not eternal. But Jesus is. And notice what else John tells us about Jesus. He calls him the Word. The Word, it's the Greek word logos, which some of you know. But it may puzzle you a little bit. Why does John call Jesus the Word? Why not just call him Jesus or Christ or the Son of God? No, he deliberately chooses to call him logos, the Word. Well, the Logos was actually a familiar concept to the people to whom John wrote this gospel originally. Greek and Jewish philosophers talked about the Logos. But when they talked about Logos, it wasn't the way that John is talking about the Logos. These philosophers of John's day spoke about the Logos as though it were something like reason with a capital R, like an idea or a, a principle, or a force, not unlike Star Wars. May the force be with you. That's kind of like how they spoke of the Logos, an impersonal force or even a, an impersonal God, if they so chose to talk about him as God. So, so what John did, you see, was he took that familiar concept of Logos and injected it with new meaning. The word, according to John's gospel, is personal as well as divine. The word was God, says John, not a God like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, but God. He is both God, meaning always been, always will be, and he is personal. The word was in the beginning with God. But the logos, the light, is not only a person who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He is a person who loves us. Why do I say that? Well, think about the word word for a moment. Think about words. What do words do anyway? I'm speaking words right now. What, in, what am I using words to do? I'm using words to connect with you. Words connect one person to another. They create relationship. Words are the language of love. Those of you who are married know how important words are. Sometimes your spouse will say, we need to talk. Sometimes that makes us panic. <laughs> but we know we need to talk because words are the language of love. 
God loved us and loves us so much that he speaks. He spoke to us in the person of his son, the word, capital R, par excellence, Jesus Christ. I've been reading a fascinating book that my wife told me about called The Scientist in the Crib, about how babies develop language. Research is showing how important a mother's voice is to a baby. Now, most of you already know that, but it took some scientists to tell us that a mother's voice is special and important to a baby. As babies grow inside their moms, they are able to hear their mother's voices throughout the day. And then after they are born, babies respond to what linguists are calling motherese. You ever heard that? Motherese. It's like a whole new language. Motherese is that silly way of talking that we do with babies. Motherese it applies to both men and women. Men do it. Even children do it. Siblings do it to their little baby uh, brother or sister. Motherese. We were looking at some old uh, family movies the other day, my wife and I. And one of the movies showed our little baby boy, Michael, who's now 31 years old. And um, we were all gathered around little baby Michael talking motherese. We just didn't know that's what it was. Oh, how, how beautiful you are. Look at that cute little nose. You are such a cute. See, that's motherese. It's not what I would speak to you, but we talk that way to babies. It's playful. It's warm. And these scientists are saying that it is a way that we connect with babies that is loving. Babies love to hear people talk this way to them. Tests even show that they prefer motherese to normal adult talk because they like the sound of it. It is comforting. It helps them attach to their caregivers. And in the same way, Jesus is called the Word because he is God's motherese to you and to me. God connects himself to us through Jesus, his son. And in Jesus, his son, he comforts us and he loves us. And it's no accident that this book that many of us are holding right now, maybe it's digital, maybe it's a real book. The Bible is called the what? The word. The word of God. See, Jesus is in heaven but he continues to speak to us through the written word of God. As we know from Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to our path. Okay, so far, we've seen that a light is shining in the darkness and that this light is a person who loves us, namely Jesus, the word of God. Well, here's the third thing I want you to see. This person who loves us is also sovereign and in control. This person who loves us is sovereign and in control. Look at verse 3. John says, all things were made through him. That is the word, Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, Brian talked about this last Sunday but I'll say it again, Jesus is the agent of creation. He made, he crafted, he designed, and he sustains all things. 
When Jesus said long ago before all things were created, when he said, let there be light, suddenly light appeared in the cosmos. When he spoke, matter came to be. One moment there was nothing but God. And in the next moment there was something. Colossians 1.16 talks about this, where Paul says, by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And as we said together earlier from Hebrews 1.3 this morning, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's doing that right now, friends. Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. That's why I say that Jesus is sovereign and in control. R.C. Sproul used to say, there is not one piece of cosmic dust that is outside the scope of God's sovereign providence. The way I would put that is to say that nothing in this universe is an outlier. Everything, every event Every person, every circumstance falls within the orbit of Jesus' wisdom, power, and design. Without Jesus, John says, was not anything made that was made. Now, perhaps at this moment, though, you're thinking, if Jesus loves us, and if Jesus is sovereign and in control, why does evil exist at all? Some of those things that I talked about at the beginning, why do those things even happen? If Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power, why evil? Well, that's the question of the centuries. We know that Satan, our enemy, is the being who introduced darkness into this world, but still we have to realize Jesus permitted it, and he's permitting it still. Why? We all wrestle with that why question, do we not? What I want to tell you this morning is that when you suffer, when you grieve, when you are wounded, when you are abused, Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He sees, he understands, he feels, he cares. And he is with you as you walk in the darkness. You say, Mike, why can you say that? How do you know that? I know that because the darkest event in all of human history that ever took place was when Jesus, the light of the world, was nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago. At 12 noon that day, when the sun was at its zenith, the sky over the cross grew black as pitch. Darkness, we read, came over the whole land until the ninth hour, says the gospel writer. And in that darkness, Jesus, the one who made the universe, who is upholding it by the word of his power, in that three-hour period of darkness, Jesus traded places with us on the cross. The punishment that we deserved fell upon him. As Isaiah the prophet tells us, he bore our sins or our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. 
And he was wounded for our iniquities. That's what happened on the cross. And that's why darkness fell upon the earth for three hours. It's a darkness you and I will never know. We will never be able to experience that. Never would we want to. That separation from the Father and that awful punishment that you and I deserved falling upon Christ on Good Friday. So Jesus is not taken by surprise by darkness. He knows it all too well. He does not abandon you and I in the darkness. He knew it was coming and he is going to redeem it. If not in this world, then certainly in the world to come. You who have been ignored here will be celebrated in glory. You who have been abused here will be comforted in glory. You who have been treated unjustly here will be vindicated in glory. The Apostle Paul talks about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where he says, God will repay with affliction those who afflict you and grant relief to you who are afflicted. So a light is shining. That light is a person who loves you. He is sovereign and in control and is redeeming darkness. If not now, ultimately he will. The word promises us that. And so that brings us to the fourth and final thing. He will not lose. Jesus will not lose. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you know that Christianity is growing these days? All we hear is bad news, right? Well, here in North America and Europe, True, secularism and irreligion appear to be on the rise. But think globally. Let's think globally because religious faith is growing faster globally than irreligion. There are fewer atheists around the world today than in 1970. And that number is expected to continue to, the number of atheists is expected to continue to decline through 2050. Roughly two and a half billion people now identify as a Christian. That's about one third of humanity. By 2050, that number will top 3.33 billion. There are 56 million Christians worshiping in house churches in China, even as we sit here today. Africa went from 9% Christian in 1900 to 49% Christian in 2020. Christianity in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Congo rose from 1% in 90, uh, to 95% over that same period. Melanesia, Micronesia, and Polynesia are all majority Christian today. The percentage of unevangelized people around the world continues to fall. In 1900, 54% of the world's population was unevangelized. That has now fallen to 28% unevangelized. There are more than 90 million Bibles to be printed this year. 80% of the world's population has a full Bible translated into their language. And most of the remaining 20% has access to at least some of the scriptures. The Jesus film, some of you work at crew with Jesus film, has been translated into 2,000 languages and growing all the time. And don't stop praying and don't stop hoping for North America and Europe. Revivals have taken place in the past when churches were dead 
and secularism was as strong or stronger as it is today. So friends, the light of the gospel is shining. Darkness is not the final word. Jesus is. Darkness doesn't get the last laugh. Jesus does. And a day is coming when darkness will no longer even exist. The same man who wrote the Gospel of John also wrote the book of Revelation. And he says in chapter 21 of that book that Jesus will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things will have passed away. And in that same chapter of Revelation, John goes on to describe a city the new heavens and the new earth. And about that city, he says that it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and there will be no night there. Can you imagine? No night, no darkness, none of those situations that I alluded to earlier. Jesus is that helicopter that you've seen hovering over a crime scene in the middle of the night, shining its blazing spotlight down into the darkness as if to announce, I am here. I have come. I will make things right. Justice will prevail. Jesus is like that electric cable sent down through 2,000 feet of rock in northern Chile to bring light and hope and rescue to those 33 trapped miners. And Jesus is like the sun that rises to the east or in the east to remind us that weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So what is your darkness today? What is your darkness today? Maybe it's one of the things I described at the beginning of my sermon. Or maybe you've never actually placed your trust in Jesus very possible that you're here today exploring Jesus, exploring what it means to be a Christian, but you're not sure you want to follow him. Can I just tell you that if that fits you, if that describes you this morning, I want you to know something. There are really only two options, darkness and light, death and life. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're not a Christian this morning, I call on you to take that step into the light. Come clean, won't you? Come clean. Admit that you are a sinner, that you have done things that have displeased God. Admit that to yourself. Admit that to God and ask him to forgive you. It's really not that complicated. When you do that and mean it with all your heart, you step into the light. You are free, free from condemnation. And God will give you strength to walk in darkness with hope and with peace. For the rest of us this morning who sometimes feel the deep down darkness of the world, don't let your hearts be troubled. Rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus, the word of God. And instead of running from the darkness and fear, 
or standing back as sometimes Christians do and criticizing or condemning the darkness, find a place that is dark and shine. You have the light of the world on your side. So let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. It might be as simple as picking up that card, that invitation that Mike alluded to, and sharing it with somebody next door. Step into the light. The light of the world is with you. Let's pray. Just take a moment and think about what does it mean for you to find a place that's dark and shine? What will that dark place be? Maybe it's your own cul-de-sac. Maybe it's at work, at school. Maybe it's with family or friends. Would you be willing to take a step into the light instead of running in fear or criticism? Would you be able, by God's grace, to begin to shine your light in that place? Father, today we come, some of us, with a very close and recent experience of darkness. We pray, O oh God, that for those people, you will remind them that you know what that is like and you are with them in the dark. Lord, some of us wake up every day to memories of guilt or shame. Some of us are weary of fighting the same temptations every moment. Jesus, thank you that you're the word who loves us. We ask you to light, uh, let the light that you brought into this world shine in our darkness and give us hope and strength to walk out of here today into a sometimes dark world and allow your light to shine through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.